and welcome to the BizCast podcast. I'm Alex Page Halley. And I'm Shannon King. And today we have Joe Brennan, uh, CBI president and CEO. Um, we're going to talk to him about a recent conversation that he had with the Department of Economic and Community Development's Commissioner, David Lehman. So Joe, thanks for being here this morning. Well, thanks for having me on. Sure. So uh, I was with you when we talked with David Lehman. So um, you will hear that full conversation in this podcast. Um, but what was something that surprised you about the conversation you've had, you had with David? I know you've spoken with him in the past. It, he's been at our events. He's going to be at our manufacturing summit in uh, the next couple weeks down in Trumbull. But uh, what surprised you the most about your conversation with him? Um, I don't know if I can say it surprised me, Shannon, but um, I'm just really happy with the energy that he showed and kind of the excitement and having the conversation. Um, this was a little bit unusual for us to do a podcast like that with a commissioner. Um, he, re he really embraced the conversation, um, you know, and, and brought that perspective of a business background coming into government, which I thought was really interesting. What was the purpose of your conversation? Like, why did you decide to interview? Well, you know, as hopefully our listeners know, CBIA's kind of flagship publication is the CBIA News, and we were discussing uh, the cover story for that for an upcoming edition, and someone had the idea of uh, doing it on David Lehman uh, because economic development, economic and community development is such an important department for the business community. And the fact, again, he's relatively new, been in the job about seven months, and came from a business background as opposed to a government background. So we thought he was a perfect topic for uh, a cover story. And then I said, well, geez, why don't we do something a little different instead of just writing about him and maybe calling him up and asking a few questions, why don't we go over and do a you know one-on-one -on -one interview with him? And uh, Shannon was a producer and did a great job. And as I said, David embraced it and uh, had a lot of energy and enthusiasm around the conversation. It went on longer than I think we expected, but it was all good stuff. Uh, so I was really pleased with it. Great. Well, uh, let's listen in. First of all, David, thank you for doing this and joining us on this pod podcast. Um, just start out a little bit of background. Um, obviously, you had a very successful career in the private sector, and you made a decision that some may question uh, why you did it. But maybe just talk a little bit about what prompted you to uh, join the uh, Lamont administration and sure. take on this role. Yeah, sure. As you mentioned, I was in the private sector for, for 20 years uh, in financial markets, real estate, as well as public finance and, and infrastructure. Um, and for me, I've been a resident of the state for 10 years. My, my wife is from Connecticut. We've been raising a family here for the past 10 years. Uh, I just am of the view that the state is at a crossroads. It is a really critical and important time for the state uh, where we need to change the trajectory. You know, if you want to measure that by migration, job growth, uh, median income growth, it's really important that the, the state's economy um, shifts to a more positive tone and that we create an environment that's more conducive to growth. So uh, just having been a resident here and, and, and having seen uh, what happened in the past, it was really important. The more I learned about Governor Lamont and what he wanted to accomplish, I just felt uh, that if I could be helpful, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, to be useful to him and his administration. So I, I reached out and, you know, here I am seven months later, but it's been, uh, it's been amazing and I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and it's a real privilege to work for the governor and the citizens of Connecticut. Uh, let's look back on those first seven months. Uh, first of all, kind of parallels that you've seen or what your private sector experience has, has led to uh, 
and, and what you've learned in the job so far in just a short period of time. Yeah, in terms of the private sector parallels and, and kind of how I've been able to put that to work, I, I would say three things there. You know, for, first and foremost, I, I in my previous role, I was involved in capital commitment and, and lending. Um, and, and, you know, the state historically has done a fair amount of lending to companies were involved in brownfield, certain real estate transactions. So, you know, I have a lens with which I, I, I looked at it previously on behalf of shareholders, but now the lens I look at it is for taxpayers. You know, it, it, are the transactions the state is doing, financial transactions, do they make sense for taxpayers? Uh, so that's something I'm comfortable with and really measuring what is the economic benefit? What is the return on investment? Uh, so that'd be number one. You know, n number two is, um, I do put myself in taxpayer shoes a lot. Um, and, and the litmus test for me, and this was similar to what I did at the private sector, but not again for, for, for taxpayers, but for shareholders is asking myself, does, what, what would a reasonable taxpayer think about this policy, this loan, this grant? Does it make sense, especially in the context of, of the debt diet that we're in? Because the reality is the state um, empirically has borrowed a lot of money and we, we don't have as much economic growth to show for it. So I think we really need to be rigid in terms of return on investment and making sure the, the borrowing that we're doing and the lending that we're doing to, to companies or to, to projects around the state is accretive to the economy and makes sense for taxpayers. The third thing I would say, Joe, is you know I, I manage the, the global real estate lending business at, at Goldman as well as the public sector and infrastructure business, and you know I manage a lot of client relationships with that. So with that management comes a, a sense of urgency, a sense of accountability. You know we, we need to think. It's my opinion. We need to think about businesses and individuals that want to be in the state and do business in the state and invest as clients. And I, I'll use that terminology a lot in email when I'm talking to folks. They, they are our clients, um, and, and we need to view them as such. And, and treating them as, as clients with that sense of accountability, I, I think that is part of what we're trying to do in terms of changing the environment here in the state. Um, and I think it's important that everyone in government has that same framework. Sure, great. Um, talk about your vision a little bit, because uh, DECD has been operating one way for you know the last administration. We had the same commissioner for a long period of time and worked incredibly hard, was everywhere all over the state. State was doing a lot around incentives, you know, some big, big incentives, you know, tens of millions of dollars to companies to uh, come here or stay here. Uh, just talk a little bit about what your vision is and how you think you may change the department during your term. Yeah, so just maybe starting off on incentives. Um, you know, it, it is a competitive world. I come from free markets. I'm a big believer in, in free markets and how the market allocates. Um, but, you know, the, the my personal view, and I've spent a fair bit of time researching this, is, you know, we, we need to be very mindful of incentives that are given to business, direct incentives that are given to business, because those are taxpayer dollars. And, and you know, whenever we give an incentive, that is a subsidy from others that aren't benefiting from that incentive, you know, to company ABC or a, a specific industry, for example. So I, I think we need to be really careful about incentives. Um, and, and we're doing a couple things. But most importantly, you know, we're, we're not going to not do incentives because it's, it's not something where we can unilaterally, nor should we unilaterally disarm because other states are providing incentives. And for certain companies, it does matter. Um, but in my view, and I've experienced this to date, it is part of the calculus. It's not the driver of the calculus. If a company is saying they only want to be here if you meet their economic terms, well, you're probably not supposed to do that deal because that's not going to work out long term. We want businesses that can succeed in Connecticut because of their, their cluster, they, the, the cost structure in the state works for them, the, all the strengths of the state in terms of quality of life, workforce, healthcare, education, all that works for them, but they need to check the box on incentives. Okay, those are conversations that we'll have. 
But we're, we're going to shift to you know, what I refer to as an earn-as-you-go or earn-as-you-grow type structure where the, the burden is going to be put on business to create new jobs in the state, net new jobs in the state, truly growing the state's economy and, and the income tax receipts to the general fund. And to the extent that businesses in, in specific sectors do that and they grow the state's GDP um, and output, you know, I think we're, we're going to have a program where over a certain amount of years a portion of that uh, net new income tax is going to be remitted back to the company. Uh, so that is a, a, a less risky strategy because the, the, the state is not taking any of that business risk. The burden is on the company to create the jobs. In, in addition, I think the, the market has shifted a little bit where we can potentially um, have a, a, a smaller incentive, the, the dollar amount that taxpayers are paying for those new jobs, or the dollar of subsidy, I think, can be reduced. So we're going to be doing a lot less direct incentives to corporations, and I would say the, the, the amount is going to be reduced, and importantly, that risk burden is going to be shifted back to the company. Because, mm -hmm. you know, in my opinion, the state should focus on what it does best, and, you know, we're not an investor. We're not a bank. We, we need to focus on providing services and, and, and facilitating business and welcoming business, but we, we want business to basically drive it. Um, and, and, and the dollars the state provides, you know, that, that, that should not be the driver, um, in my opinion, of most decisions. There, there certainly will be exceptions, but that's generally what I've experienced based on my research. Um, the other thing I would say, which is going to be a priority, is uh, I'm a big believer that over the next 20, 30 years, you know, the state's investment in its cities is really important. And, and as I've studied the state and the state's economy, you know, one of the things that has held us back is, you know, the fact that we are a, a state of many small cities, a state of suburbs. And I, I think investing in our cities, and that not just as places to work, because candidly, I think work in the workplace is going to look very different. Um, it already is looking different. But as places to live, as places to raise families, as vibrant communities is going to be important. So, you know, focus on brownfields dollars, for example, something we, we do. I think those are really crucial dollars. Um, you know, I infrastructure and transit-oriented development, very, very important. And I've started to spend a bit more time there, um, as well as, you know, anything around infrastructure and education in some of these communities in these cities, I think is going to be important. Because I think what, what we need to do, my, my personal view of what we need to do to create this environment is you need, to have, you need to have the right education, the right infrastructure. We need to deal with the transportation issues, all of these macro issues that the governor is very focused on. And then on top of that, we need to provide tax certainty, long-term tax certainty to companies and residents that are going to be here. That is the recipe as opposed to incentives in my mind. And I want to focus our, our discrete dollars on, on those areas um, as it relates to building up these places and environments as opposed to giving money to companies. I just think that's going to be smarter for the state over the long run in terms of economic growth. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear you say that because, uh, as you point out, you have to have some incentive program because other states you know, are very, very aggressive in marketing to our companies, but we've always felt that it's the overall environment here that's going to be make the difference in the end. As you said, incentives are part of the calculus, but it's not the big driver, but it's having, you know, a predictable and competitive tax policy, obviously having a good workforce, um, good transportation network, all those things. So I'm glad to hear you say that, that uh, we, we need a real balance there. Um, you know, one of the things you probably didn't pay a lot of attention to in your time in, uh, at Goldman was the Connecticut General Assembly. Uh, probably not forefront of your mind when you're working in the private sector the last 20 years, but now you've gone through one legislative session. Uh, what, what's your approach to dealing with legislators to get them to understand the importance of the work that you're doing? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I, I, I did have the privilege of spending a lot of time um, during my confirmation and afterwards with uh, legislators getting to know them. And listen, I'm a big believer in democracy and, and socializing ideas and thoughts. And the great thing about government is there are lots of different ideas in terms of what's the solution, what improves the pie or makes the pie bigger for everyone in the state, which is what I think we should be focused on. You know, so my, my approach is one of collaboration. You know, I, I, want to, I want to embrace people that have, you know, not just the same view as me, of course, but I want, I want to hear the opposing view. I'd, I'd like to get people around the table that, you know, have different views and, you know, let's try to build consensus. Um, and, and reasonable people can and, and likely will disagree about certain things. But my view, and, and this is one of the great things I think about our governor and what really um, compelled me to, to kind of re reach out and, and, and sit here before you today is, you know, he, he has a similar mindset. He's a, a collaborator. He's a pragmatist. He's results-driven. I, I think understanding where there is a compromise or where there is sensible policies, let, let's try to find that balance because I certainly don't I, – I have a lot to learn myself, and I want to have those conversations and find the right ground that we can all move the state forward. So I, I plan on continuing to embrace the, the legislature and, you know, seek out views that are different than my own because I, I think there does need to be a balance in that vetting process of all these ideas. I'm always curious when somebody's relatively new to government, I've been doing this for, you know, a long, long time, and you get a little cynical and get a little jaded over time. But as somebody who is new to the public sector, uh, what have been the biggest surprises? You know, have there been any aha moments for you or, you know, surprises or uh, anything you didn't expect? I, I would say I've been, I've been very surprised by, it's been great to see kind of the, the, the caliber and diversity of the team that the governor and lieutenant governor have, has picked. It's been... You know, very, very tremendous. You know, I mentioned urgency and accountability before, but you know, this is a—it's a 24/7 job, and and there's 3.6 million people that are counting on on uh, the governor and his administration to to move the state forward and progress the state. So I, I, it's really great to see, and I've been I've been really pleasantly surprised by the you know the, the people and, and kind of how much they care and how hard they're working to improve the state of Connecticut. You know, the one thing I would also mention is. Um, you know, one thing I, I probably didn't appreciate as much is, you know, I come from a world where you had one or two bosses. Maybe you had three or four, you know, that were kind of stakeholders. But here I feel like I have 3.6 million bosses right. at times. And, 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 and listen, that's, um, it, at times it can, it can there, there are, there's always fire drills stuff to do. You know, there's lots of different things that are important that, that can pull you and spread you a bit thin. Um, so it's important to stay focused, but at the same time, that is, you know, that's democracy. You know, I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm hearing all the issues and what's important to all 3.6 million people, um, because ultimately, you know, the, we are their government in, in representing them. So the, the difference between, you know, rowing towards the, the direction the one or two bosses said previously versus in the public sector, not everyone even agrees on the problem, let alone the solution to the problem. You know, that, that is a different framework where there's a balance that I'm learning to, uh, to navigate. Great. Um, you know, one of the things that really frustrates a lot of our members, frustrates me personally, is that Connecticut has so many great assets. Um, we've got world-class companies here that are the envy of other states and other nations. We have a world-class workforce, great quality of life, great location. And we really should be a leader in a lot of economic measures. And we are in some, but we're laggards in many, many of the critical ones. So what's your perspective on, like, why we're there and what not just you, but all 
collectively what we all can do to to reach our potential. Yeah, listen, I, I think there's two broad issues here, one of which I alluded to before, which is this what I call medium to longer term tax certainty. You know, I think a lot of individuals and businesses, you know, they, they look at the past 10 years or even 15 years and they see their tax burden increasing. And, and it is human nature to assume perhaps the next 15 years are going to look like the last 10 or 15 years. And I, I think we need to be more aggressive explaining why you know, the future is, is not going to resemble the recent past as it relates to taxes. And I think we need to, you know, th that's the most important thing I think this government can do as it relates to the, on the business front and growing the economy is providing that tax certainty because there are folks that, that don't, they didn't experience it and, and they don't believe it. So we're going to need to demonstrate that that is what we're doing. And I think the, the budget that the governor signed, I realized it didn't, uh, wasn't perfect for everyone, but I personally think that was a big step in the right direction of you know, letting folks know that we, we care about fiscal stability and certainty, and, and we need to be really mindful over, you know, the, the, the long run. Uh, we can't just uh, borrow money now, expect to pay it off later, because that, I just don't think that's worked. Um, so that's probably, you know, the, the most, one of the most important points that I think we need to tackle. You know, the second, I, I referenced cities, and I, I do think there's a, there was a macro trend, you know, where, you know, in, in decades like the 70s, 80s, and even early 90s, when the cities were more dangerous. Education was uh, not as good there. They were less desirable places to live. You know, we, we as a suburban and small city state were largely the beneficiary of, com of companies. I mean, GE is a prime example in the 70s when they moved up here. We were the beneficiaries of the exodus, um, to call it that, from the cities, from businesses and individuals. You know, starting in the mid to late 90s and, and really for the past 20 years, you know, you, you've seen cities experience significant growth. Cities are generally big uh, economic engines, and that's where there's been substantial migration. And this is not just a, a millennial issue. Um, you know, this is, a, this is an issue for people that are young too old. And so I think, and I'm, not, I'm not convinced the next 20 years look like the past in terms of further growth in the cities, but I think we, we need to invest in our cities where we can offer that type of environment, because I think many folks, again, not just millennials, want to, to live, work, and play. And, uh, denser, more vibrant environments that offer amenities that are walkable. Um, you know, I can go on, but I think you know, getting getting our fiscal house and our long-term tax certainty in order, and then continuing to offer you know that city or city-like experience. We're never going to be Boston or New York, but a Hartford where we're in now, or a New Haven or Bridgeport or Stanford, Waterbury. I, I think we have the the bones of what could be really uh, dynamic small cities, and I think we need to keep investing in them, both in terms of more jobs and more residents actually living in those cities. That was going to be my follow-up because we're sitting in downtown Hartford right now, walking distance to the Stanley Black & Decker Industry 4.0 Center, the Yard Goats, Yukon downtown. Hartford has really had a lot of things changed for the better over the last few years. Just really quickly, your perspective on Stamford, Bridgeport, New Haven, Waterbury. What's your, what's your opt level of optimism on, on how these cities can be really strong, dynamic, smaller cities? Yeah, I'm optimistic. Um, I'm very optimistic because, again, I think we've got, when you think about it, we've got great real estate, right? Well, many of those cities you just mentioned are on the water. They're on the New Haven line. Um, you know, the, the transportation is important because congestion in particular around Hartford and in, in the that New Haven to Stanford corridor uh, comes up a lot uh, with companies that I speak to. But I, I, I think we've got the, the what I'd call the bones of our very what could be very kind of vibrant small cities, and I think what it's going to take is is concentrated investment. I think we are going to need to focus on cities, and we could talk a bit more about opportunity zones and how we're thinking about them. But ultimately, in my mind, it's you know residential. I think needs to lead the way, lead the way. 
but there's this um, circle of sorts where you know the rents need to make sense and the jobs that are in the area need to make sense vis-a-vis -vis the rents to construct new residential, uh, even if there's a non-market rate component of that. So I, I think it's a combination of um, continuing to incentivize investment, brownfields, dollars, opportunity zones, um, transit-oriented development along the, the rail line or the bus line where possible, and then ultimately incentivize employers to locate also in those areas. Because as we add jobs and as we add residents, you know, that's going to reduce the mill rate in many of these cities, which is an issue. It's going to help improve the education in these cities. So we really need to broaden uh, the grand list to you know, defray the cost for some of these new residents and really make them exciting areas. But the, what you've seen in, in Hartford, what you're seeing in Bridgeport, what you're seeing in uh, Stanford, New Haven, you, you are seeing this activity. That's where a lot of the growth has been of late. And I think we need to do everything we can to further encourage prudent growth in those areas. Uh, let's go back to DECD for a second. It's been a policy over the last couple of decades, really, uh, looking at industry clusters or industry sectors, whether it's advanced manufacturing, financial services, insurance, digital media, biopharma. Uh, is that something you're going to continue? And if so, are there particular clusters that you think are most important to focus on for Connecticut? Yes, is the short answer. And I think just given some of the... Um you know, there's constraints and limitations, whether it's money, people, I, I think we really need to be more targeted, probably, Joe, on, you know, industries that are importantly, you know, have a comparative advantage for being within the state of Connecticut, whether it's because their clients are here, their competitors are here, the workforce is here. Um, you know, you've got aerospace, where we are now, aerospace and defense is clearly a, a very tangible example where you see the benefits of the supply chain, the workforce locating near, you have industry clusters that work together. Um, so it's a, a mini Silicon Valley of sorts focused on aerospace and defense. We need to keep encouraging that because uh, in my opinion, that type of cluster is gonna be more likely to succeed than if those companies were elsewhere. So those, those are real strengths of the state and, and importantly, they can operate within the state and succeed. So we wanna focus on on those types of, of clusters. So. You mentioned aerospace and defense, advanced manufacturing. Uh, I certainly think financial services, whether it's insurance here in the, the central Connecticut area or even investment management and hedge funds in southwestern Connecticut is very important in addition to banking and fintech. Um, life sciences, bioscience, I think is clearly a strength of the state in the Farmington or even New Haven area is very, very significant. Uh, healthcare is something that comes up quite a bit. Renewables and, and broader information technology is an area that I think we really need to expand. Uh, when I think about the, the kind of shift broadly towards services and service-based economy going forward, you know, the, the technology uh, workforce that we have is that's an area that I really like to focus on and expand. So we're, we're going to be targeted in those industries. And again, they're businesses that I think can succeed in the state. And, and perhaps, you know, as important, they're businesses that are going to grow the state economy. They're, they're largely exporting goods and services out of the state, which I think is important when we think about real economic growth outside of productivity growth. We're going to grow basically by, uh, by selling those goods and services out of the state, in addition to hopefully having more migration, net positive migration, and productivity growth in our workforce. Well, that's at least my next question, because obviously none of those industry sectors can succeed if people don't have the workforce they need. And, you know, more being involved in this every day, it's one of the most vexing issues, because it's not just you pass a bill at the legislature, all of a sudden you solve your workforce problems. A lot of people working on this. Just your thoughts on overall. Obviously, it's probably most acute in manufacturing right now. The numbers are greater there, but I hear it every day. It doesn't matter the industry, computer science, we're way behind. Uh, just, just your thoughts on what Connecticut can do to kind of jumpstart the efforts around attracting and retaining a, a workforce. 
Yeah, and it's it's the right question, and and you know the, when I think about workforce, the, this is truly you know some of the other stuff. There may be partisan differences in terms of how to think about the solution, but you know workforce is is a strength of the state, um, no matter how you measure it. Um, you know one of the more frequent things is kind of the advanced degrees or bachelor's degrees on up. But if you look at the the current labor force or an unemployment rate, you know we have a very very strong workforce, and it's I don't want to call it a high quality problem, but you know we want to make sure that employers that that have jobs that they can find people that want to move to the state uh, or can be reskilled to take those jobs. So I, I think it is the view of, of the governor and the administration that you know we need to have a, a cohesive statewide plan and, and really have a workforce assessment to understand where are the skills gaps, how do we fix this on a spot basis, as well as you know let's talk about what we envision three years out, five years out, ten years out in terms of the shortfall in some of these areas. Because the the amount of retirements plus the kind of organic demand that a lot of manufacturers have ne needs to be met, um, so I think that's going to be a combination of reskilling and ultimately enticing folks to um, come to the state and, and ultimately uh, raise their family in the state. And then on the on the STEM front, again, I think you also need to have a longer term plan where we, on a per capita basis, can be you know punching right up there with a Massachusetts or others that have more higher ed institutions than than we do. So none of these things are easy, otherwise they would be fixed. But I, I think it's, um, of all the problems that you could have having these kind of jobs, we, we want to have them. We just need to figure out how to get the people here and then reskill the people that are here in what is a, a constantly evolving workplace, as you know. So what was a, a valuable skill two or three years ago, that might not be a valuable skill or as valuable at least today. So it's really important that we're on the cutting edge. And the last thing I would say on this, uh, in my opinion at least, this is the, the private sector needs to drive this um, as opposed to the government because the government we, we don't we don't exactly know what ABC manufacturer or tech company needs and I, I think it's wrong for us to presume anything we need to embrace the private sector here and say how, how can we help what what do you need and what can we do to help you get what you need and let them drive and take the steering wheel with us helping them uh, I think that's the the concept that I've seen that most states that are successful in this do and I think it's really important that we take on that uh, initiative here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, we often talk about silos in government. There's silos in the private sector too. And I think we're collectively doing a better job of breaking down those silos and working together, particularly around workforce with the Connecticut Manufacturers Collaborative, bringing different groups together. Could go on quite a bit about that. But uh, uh, let me just shift focus slightly because I think it plays into what you were just talking about. Um, but uh, I served on one of Governor Lamont's uh, policy teams during the transition on economic development. And one of the recommendations we had to look at uh, uh, some of the other states that are doing well in economic development have a, uh, a separate outside of government, usually a 501c3, doing economic development, partnering closely with each state's DECD. Here the governor said CERC, which is the Connecticut Economic Resource Center, was going to be repurposed. Um, he put really top quality people with Indra Nui and Jim uh, Smith as chairs of that, of that board. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship that you're going to have with CERC going forward and how effective you think it might be in really driving greater economic growth here? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So I, I spent a lot of time with CERC, as, as I think you're aware, Joe. We, in July, we hired a new CEO of CERC. Bob Santi was in a leadership position there for a long time. Uh, Peter Dinius joined uh, as CEO, and, and we're actually, uh, Peter is is working on several searches now to further build out CERC and the new, what is the new CERC. Um, you know, we, we do envision working very, very closely. When I say we, DECD and CERC are going to work very, very closely. Um, they, they had a very 
um, significant historic relationship, but I, I think the goal is to you know look to Cirque to be the the tip of the spear run point as it relates to a lot of the business retention and and recruitment that we do as a state. You know, DECD is certainly going to, to to remain involved as it relates to. Uh, government programs, any uh, concierge service in terms of navigating permitting, uh, anytime there's, there are incentives, for example. But I, I think we wanted to have a bit more uh, accountability as it relates to retention and recruitment, the cluster strategy I mentioned before. Uh, and, and really, when we look at states, as you mentioned, that have been successful, they often have a, an entity like CERC, um, you know, that is kind of the primary face um, to business in many ways. So the goal is to, to morph CERC more into that. I'm, I'm, I'm a proponent of renaming CERC. I, I generally don't think acronyms are good marketing. Um, but but ultimately, the, the, the new CERC, whatever that name might be, that, that's the role, that's the leadership role we expect them to play as it relates to our retention and our recruitment strategy. And, and, and importantly, um, I think you mentioned before, you know, other states are very aggressive at talking to companies in Connecticut, poaching companies in Connecticut. You know, we, we need to play more offense. Again, I think my main goal is we want to make the pie bigger as opposed to think about this as zero sum versus other states. But at the same time, um, you know, there are there are companies that I think would fit well within our ecosystem that we need to be proactively reaching out to saying, here's, here's our cluster. Here's why you'd fit nicely in that cluster. You should consider whether it's moving to Connecticut, expanding in Connecticut. I, I want to play a, a lot more offense as opposed to defense. And I think CERC is going to be the tool with which we do that too. Great. Uh, just a couple quick things to wrap up. Uh, we're about four months away from the beginning of the next legislative session, the so-called short session beginning in February. Can you tell us anything about what the Labatt administration's priorities might be for that session? Yeah, well, listen, on the economic development front, um, you know, a couple things. I, I alluded to uh, the incentives and how we're thinking about incentives slightly differently. The goal is to have you know, a, a transparent uh, and targeted incentive structure, uh, and ultimately that would require legislation, but that's something that I hope to do. And, you know, the benefit of something that's transparent and targeted is, you know, it will be clear to you, Joe, and others around the state municipalities, for example, you know, what is the state's incentive toolbox look like? What What is the state willing to do to facilitate job growth here or, or capital investment growth. So, you know, that's probably a big focus of mine. You know, one other area where we're spending a lot of time and I'm not sure what this ultimately looks like is um, as it relates to regulations in the state. And, you know, what 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 can we do to take a look at regulations, um, again, whether that's through legislation or otherwise, that potentially uh, makes it easier to do business in the state of Connecticut to, to reduce kind of the, the, the you know, undue burden of certain regulations that we have. So that's another area where we've spent a lot of time. We still have a lot more work to do there, um, but but I'm hopeful there is, you know, there's something that we can do that that um, and does make it easier for folks to, to do business here in the state of Connecticut. Um, let's fast forward to the end of your term. We don't know when that's going to be, how many years out, <clears throat> but at the end of your term, looking back, what will you say, you know, how will you measure success at that point? So it's a great question. Um, you know, there, there, I guess there's, well, there's the quantitative and the qualitative. On, on, in terms of the... You know, the main metrics that I look at on the dashboard or that I think we should look at on the dashboard, uh, you know, median income growth vis-a-vis -vis our peer set, certainly one of them, population growth vis-a-vis -vis our peer set, GDP growth vis-a-vis -vis our peer set, and then job growth vis-a-vis -vis our peer set. You know, I think those are probably the main four that I look at as it relates to the state's economy. And, and listen, I think we, we need to be above the median. We've been bottom quartile in, in, in many of those. And, and I think the reality is we, we do have a lot to offer, and I think we... we we need to market ourselves appropriately. We need to be very strategic. But the goal is, with those metrics, you know, how do we stack up? And, and ideally, we are top quartile or certainly uh, above the median in, in those areas. But there's some work to do there. Um, 
you know, beyond that qualitatively, I, I think this, this, again, this medium to longer term fiscal stability and tax certainty point that the governor is really focused on is critical. Um, I, I think that is the most important thing that we need to get right, um, again, beyond the investments in cities and kind of making the, the broader pie bigger. But to the extent that, that we have um, that plan and, and a credible forecast there, I think that's going to be really persuasive to facilitate more, you know, whether it's people building a new factory in the state or, or people looking to come here with their family to, to spend the next 10, 20, 30 years. So that, that, those are some of the things I'd like to look, you know, when, whenever that is, to look back and say, you know, how'd we do? Um, and did we achieve it? Those are great goals, and I uh, look forward to working with you to accomplish those. I'm <laughs> going to throw all, one... All easier said than done, right. yes. I'm going to throw one final question at you, David. I want to go right back, circle right back to the beginning of this conversation. You talked about a more, you know, hope to set a more positive tone. Uh, you know, Connecticut over, I don't know how long it's been, 10 years, whatever, but just um, kind of this air of negativity. Um, <clears throat> we experience that every day. Um, and everywhere I go out to speak, I always talk about, as I said to you earlier, all the great assets Connecticut has that we really should and can be a destination state where capital and talent want to be. But I also point out, as you did, some of the challenges we face around fiscal and other things. And I'll finish and people say, oh my God, I'm so depressed after talking to you. And I'm like, what about all the good stuff? Just as, again, somebody relatively new to government, what, what's your take on this kind of sense of, of negativity and how we can overcome that yeah the, 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 by the way and it's shocking to me and I, I've sensed it um, but we, we need to go from glass half empty to glass half full and and this Joe in my opinion you know it, it is a mentality it's gonna happen over time there, there's certain folks that are just they're negative and um, but I think the, the vast majority of folks want to be positive or are positive and I think the more we can educate about you know what what we're doing in terms of policies or initiatives what progress we're making on the on the metrics i just mentioned um you know i think uh, for you and i emailed over the weekend there was a positive mention about connecticut in a wall street journal op-ed you know the wall street journal editorial board has not been a friend to the state of connecticut um, again regardless of one's political views that's just a, the factual comment and and they acknowledge the the governor's focus on fiscal stability here and you know the, the recent economic data has been more encouraging again is it top quartile yet? It's not, but it's a lot better than where we've been. So I, I think this this feedback loop, we need to shift it from negative to positive. I think continuing to educate um, and, and really work go with the facts, I think is important. We shouldn't shy away from them. But importantly, the government, we can't let others tell our story in terms of what, what we're doing uh, and what progress we're making. So I think we do need to have a heavy hand saying, here, here are the facts. Um, and yeah, you're welcome to your own opinion, but here are the facts. And I want to keep Again, ideally, we're, we're, we're saying everyone's glass half full uh, next time we do this interview as opposed to half empty, but it's going to take some time. But candidly, I think we're making real progress there. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's going to be real progress on the biggest challenges. Tangible progress will, will change the dynamic. Well, David, again, thank you so much, uh, not only for this time we spent today, but also taking on this role, because uh, we've always talked about the importance of getting people from the private sector uh, to come into government. And it's difficult, depending on where you are in your career and your ability to do that. So the fact you've stepped up to the plate in one of the most important jobs in state government, given where Connecticut is right now, is, uh, is encouraging to us. And uh, we've had a great seven months working together and look forward to working together through the rest of your term. Great. Thank you for having me, Joe. Thank you. So that was a great conversation hearing it again. Um, I know both of us were there in the room, Joe. Um, so just hitting on that last question, 
that you asked him about uh, highlighting all the positive things that are going on in Connecticut, despite some, you know, uh, challenges in economic growth that we still have. What do you anticipate moving forward working with not only uh, David's department, but other um, government agencies, elected officials, business owners? Uh, what what do we have to look forward to from this conversation? Well, you know, I kind of look at this as a way I personally look at everything in life. It's all about balance. You know, I just think balance is so important in every aspect of life. And the same thing in what we do, uh, we have to find that right balance. You know, our mission is not to be a cheerleader for the state of Connecticut, which some people say to me. Our mission is to create a globally competitive business climate here, and competition is, is, is tough these days. So it's just trying to find that balance between focusing on our mission um, and having to address challenges. And we can't address those challenges unless we acknowledge them. So we have to do that, but we also want to balance it with not you know, being overly negative, we, we want people to be positive about Connecticut. So striking that right balance is something that we'll continue to work with, with the governor's office, with David Lehman and other folks at DECD, as well as across state government, you know, particularly with the legislature, because that's where a lot of the criticism comes from. Uh, but in many cases, I think for them, it's more avoidance of the problem. It's easier to criticize us than to address the problem. So we'll continue to be tough in our, in our rhetoric, uh, but um, in a hopeful tone. We just want the same thing everybody else wants, which is a thriving, growing economy here, which provides more and better job opportunities for everybody in the state. And uh, we have to, you know, again, strike that balance so we can get there. Great. Can we look forward to more conversations like this that you have with uh, government officials or company leaders? Well, to be honest with you, Alex, this was the first one I did, and I found it a kick. So, uh, you know, have me back all the time. Great. We'd we love will, to. We'll yeah. have a great lineup of, uh, of guests from across uh, not only state government, from the, but the private sector. There's so many just wonderful, wonderful men and women that I talk to on a daily basis that are running businesses here in Connecticut. And I think uh, our listeners would really enjoy hearing from them. So uh, we'll strike that balance between the public and private sectors. Love it. Well, we look forward to it. Thank you again for joining us, Joe. And uh, we can't wait for your next interview. This is Alex Page Hatley. And I'm Shannon King. Join us next time.